Somebody's leaving their cell phone on during the recording here. No big Sorry, deal. There. I have a child. Oh, that's um, right. That's going to be your excuse for everything now. I have to leave. I have a child. Welcome back to Royals Weekly Off-Season Edition. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and with me as always, a man who wanted nothing more than to be a Highlander when we grew up, my brother Mike. Uh, you're darn straight. So remember when we were kids, they had the Highlander TV show, Duncan McLeod was the Highlander, mm-hmm. and the intro to that was phenomenal. Amazing theme song to that Top song. Top five, right? like, maybe. Do you remember, the, what's the line that sticks out to you most from that from that I, song? I think it's I am immortal. I have inside me blood of kings. Is that yes? The, it's the brilliant, and song? the way it's like screamed like a metal song. Oh, yeah. I am immortal. It's great. It was coming right off of them. Like it, you know, all theme songs are about a generation behind popular music. So, like you know, we're coming off of the the hair band stuff. So that was mm-hmm. um, very much like. That. And and I think I think there were like two USA shows when we were kids that we used to watch. I want to say it was that, and was there, there one called Renegade with Lorenzo Lamas? Is that uh, yes, yes, I, I, yeah, no, because the dude who starred in Highlander had a Lorenzo Lamas feel to him. I can't remember they, his they name. They looked kind of, but alike. they looked somewhat similar, um, and so I confused the two a lot. Right, those two shows are like melded in my mind. I yeah, think. and I don't remember if Gargoyles was on USA or not, but we used to watch that a lot <laughs> as kids too. Um, but yeah, I'd be a Highlander. I gotta live forever. Or is that a bad people, thing? And people trying to cut your head off like all the time. That's but. the rough part, I think. That sounds more rough than the living forever. Uh, anyway, on this episode of Royals Weekly, we'll whine a little bit about the lockout, talk a little bit about Highlanders, who knows, uh, discuss questions that the Royals have to answer as an organization in 2022, and talk about what we're going to use to distract ourselves without Major League Baseball, at least at the start of this year. Because as you know, Right now, no Major League Baseball set to start. Uh, we don't know when it's going to begin. So, But first, I'd like to take this uh, moment to wish a sincere congratulations to my co-host and brother, Mike, and his lovely wife, Morgan, on the birth of their first child. Congrats, Mike. Yay! Yeah, I'm really good at making maybe babies. I'll, Woo. Maybe, I'll, maybe I'll throw in some like cr- fake crowd noise or something. Yeah. Um, but congrats on that. How's the parent life treating you so far? Well, right now, uh, my wife is doing a, a, the bulk of the parenting work. Um, she's, she's doing great, uh, player comp wise. I'd say she's like the Salvador Perez and I'm not like a bum or anything. Uh, so I'm a comp myself to say, uh, like a Joe Randa right now, Ooh, that's just, nice. a, just a, or, or maybe like a David de Jesus. There we go. That's, I'm David de Jesus. She's uh Salvador Perez or, you know, Mike Troutish. Like she's, yeah. you know, uh, so yeah, she's really knocking it out of the park. You know, a lot of people complain about being tired. Yes. I am tired a lot. But uh, I feel like yeah. you retired a lot anyway. So that's yeah, sort of rolling I mean, into that. Yeah. I, I, I took a lot of naps in the middle of the day. Now I do that still because that's when the kids sleep sometimes. So I got to go sleep too. It's no big deal. Just business as used for you. Uh, but that's yeah, all right. Except that for the great. gross stuff, which I don't like doing. Right. Uh, and Morgan does most of it anyway. But uh, I, you know, I did change my first solo, really disgusting diaper today. And that wasn't fun. So gross. A lot of bodily yeah, fluids. That's gross. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my kids, yeah, I consider my kid pretty, he's pretty in bounds. Like he doesn't have a lot of gross stuff going on, but right. the normal stuff. And it's, it's pretty gross. All right. Well, his I've met him. Be- his little belly button stump thing fell off today. For those of you who are parents, you know what I'm talking about there, but yeah, it fell off today. It was great. These things fall off. That's gross. Well, you know, when, the, when they're born, there's a little bit of the umbilical cord still there where the belly button oh. is. And you just got to wait for it to fall off. And it did. And, oh. and I was like, what the, Oh, it's so gross. 
Uh, okay, like I wouldn't touch not... it. I had to go get something to pick it up. With. Okay. For the four or five people still listening, uh, we'll move <laughs> on to baseball related things as, as far as that exists. Um, but congratulations. I have a new nephew uh, and uh, that's wonderful. Going to hang out with him. I've met him once. He's adorable as heck. Longest torso you've ever seen on a baby. I mean, this torso super mm-hmm. long, which is really very much in keeping with the mead tradition. We all have very long torsos, but anyway, let's talk a little about the lockout. As I'm sure you're aware, Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball's Players Association are still unable to reach an agreement. MLB says it will cancel the first two series of the season. That's a little bit up in the air because there's a question as to whether or not they can actually do that unilaterally. Yeah. People uh, Usually the number of games is a, an issue taken up in the collective bargaining agreement. So it could be that the players say, no, we're, we're going to play the whole 162 and get paid for the whole 162. And that could be another thing they have to fight about in the CBA negotiations. But we know for a fact that MLB opening day will not happen on time. Mike, how are you feeling about where this lockout is right now? At this point, in the last episode, we already expressed how disappointed we were in the owners and the fact that they instituted the lockout and that they haven't been negotiating in good faith and all that stuff. Honestly, because of all that stuff that happened leading up to this, right now I'm feeling a little bit uh, happy that the Players Association are finally starting to put their foot down and they're not, they're saying, hey, we're the ones who've made all the concessions so far, all the ones that really matter anyway. Yeah, the owners are like, you know, we'll give you this one little thing that we don't really care about. And then um, we actually want it as well. Like universal universal DH. DH. They're trying yeah. to sell as like, Oh, that was one of our concessions over back here. No, you wanted that too. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, they didn't really give up anything. The players have made some movement and, and then the other underhanded stuff where MLB was trying to sell that they were close on that one day on like the artificial deadline they gave, I think it was February 28th. You know, it was so clear and obvious that MLB was trying to sell that using the media to sell this narrative that, well, we were really close, but the players backed out. That's not what happened. Um, so I'm, I'm happy that the Players Association are finally saying, no, we're not going to continue to completely blow up our advantages just because we love to play the game. It's yeah. the thing. And, and I hate to make this comparison because I am a teacher, but it's kind of what they do to teachers a lot of times. They find something that you love and they they use that against you. Yeah. And that's what they're doing to the players right now. They for, know that for, they love to play. And they teachers, know that students, they use the students against them. Exactly. Uh, and, and so they're, they're like, well, we don't really love baseball. The owners, it's becoming more obvious every day that that's the case. And so we'll just do whatever we can to break the players association. And it's, it's completely sad. Of course, the stuff that's coming out continuously is just killing them on this. The Braves report that came out that said that they made like, uber bajillion dollars over a hundred million dollars last year and now the now the guy who owns the cubs is trying to buy chelsea for a billion dollars it's like yeah you guys they also they also announced a new tv deal new national tv deal like a week ago or something like that yeah Uh, so yeah not the headlines are not really helping major league baseball's case and honestly i think you're right i think if we think 10 years ago or 20 years ago when the strike in 94 happened or something like that, oh, that's even more than 20 years ago now, man, how old am I? Um, <laughs> when the strike of 94 happened, you can see the market difference here. The players were much quicker to sort of give in. They were not as unified in negotiations in years past. I see breaking points where in the past I'm like, oh, the players would have folded at that moment if in years past. They're not folding now. They're putting their foot down. They're demanding to get what they want. And 
they're really, they're just demanding a fair deal. They have conceded on many things. They have all they're asking for at this point is to be screwed slightly less than they are being screwed right now under the past CBAs, right? And so that's actually a very fair thing. They're asking for things to keep up with inflation. They're asking things for to come close to keeping up with revenue gains, though not completely. And that's a very fair thing to think about. And, I yeah, think- and they're at, yeah, the other thing they're asking the younger players to, to make a fair wage yeah. when they're when they're marketed players. I mean, that's, that's what MLB is right now. They're, they're hoping that Fernando Tatis and uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. And all these young guys are, they're going to keep leaning on them as their star power. Yeah. And those are the guys that, I mean, are making I mean, 600 grand a year, <laughs> exactly. you know, like, you're like, you know, it's, 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 it's wild to me because yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And good on the major league baseball players who are representing the M- uh, MLBPA at these negotiations. Cause they're keeping it fixed on helping the youngest players in the game, helping the players in the game that make the least, or at least the ones who are within the umbrella of the MLBPA. They're not talking as much about minor league pay and things like that. I think minor league baseball players should form their own union and push for that tremendously, but they are trying to help the players who are in year zero to three. And that's hugely important because that's when guys don't make as much money. That's when some guys kind of get trapped for a long time, like up and down relievers and stuff like that. They'll be zero to three guys for 10 years because or six or seven years because they don't, they they're moving up and down constantly. And so it's good on them sort of focusing on the guys who need the most help and not on the guys who are already going to make, you know, 25, $30 million a season. I think that's really important, but as we're sort of gaining more perspective, as we move through these negotiations, it now seems clear that the owners were always perfectly comfortable missing games that despite what Rob Manfred said early on that missing a single game would be a, a tragic failure or whatever he said, that was all bullshit. They all, they don't, they were using the pressure of missed games to win these negotiations and break the union. It's, it's really, it's hostage taking. And I love that you brought up actually teachers unions, because that's what always happens with them. The students and their welfare becomes the hostage. And then, you know, teachers give in because they don't want to see students hurt, missing classes, missing days, and that sort of thing. Same sort of thing happening here. The players care about the long-term health of the game. They know that missing games will hurt the long-term health of the game. And so owners are trying to use that as a hostage good on the players saying, no, we're not going to, we're going to take a stand here instead of continually letting you erode the long-term health of this game over time by screwing over players. I think that's a really good approach. And frankly, they're winning the, the um, PR battle decidedly, and they need to lean into that advantage continually. I know it might take a little pain early on in the season. We might miss a month worth of games. We might not start till June is what I'm hearing from a lot of people who are really close to the situation, but it might be necessary in order to protect the players and ultimately get a fair deal for them. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you use. You got to subscribe, 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 subscribe. We haven't had a review in a while, so go out there and give us a review. Make it a good one. If you're going to give us a bad one, just just go away. Don't do it. (laughs) Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build a larger community. If you leave us a five-star rating and good review, we'll make sure to give you a shout out and read a snippet of your review on the next show. I miss doing those segments. Those are always fun where we get to sort of interact with reviewers. I love those. And you can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Royals Weekly. Our Twitter follower numbers going higher and higher. Push us up towards 500. We'd love it, people. One of the ways I like to look at rebuilding teams is to consider what questions they have to answer in these in these seasons where they're really just trying to get better. A season, even a losing one, gives teams a chance to answer questions about their team so they can continue to rebuild with more information. 
that can lead to roster changes, coaching changes, even front office changes sometimes. So looking ahead to the 2022 MLB season, whenever it might start, I'd like us to consider what questions the Royals should be answering this year as we reach the culmination of this rebuild. 2022 and 2023 are supposed to be the years where the Royals start competing. They start entering their window. What questions do they have left to answer as they near the quote unquote end of this rebuild? I'm going to start with the first one. I think the biggest one, most obvious, I give myself the most obvious one because it's the easiest and I like to take things easy on myself. And so I'm going to go with which starters are MLB caliber and which aren't. The Royals have this crop of starters, some many of whom they took in the 2018 draft, some later, some are international signings. This would be your Brady Singers, your Jackson Kowars, your Daniel Lynch's, your... Um, Keller. Chris Bubich's. Uh, yeah, I think you got to throw Keller in there. Got to look at Keller. Carlos Hernandez. He's still, he's still young. Hernandez, an international signing. Beyond that, you're talking guys like Drew Parrish, Jonathan Bolin, Alec Marsh, uh, Austin Cox, those sorts Asa of guys. Lacey. AC Lacey, John Heasley. This is the year to know. I don't know if Lacey, we could tell whether or not he'll be MLB caliber, some of those guys, but we got to know about Singer. We got to know about Kowar. We got to know about Lynch. We got to know about those 2018 guys because they were who we were counting on to open the window for us. Remember before MJ Melendez and Nick Prado turned it around before Vinny Pasquantino came along, we really weren't sure if the Royals lineup would match up with this starting rotation crop. Now we're asking ourselves, are these starters actually going to be MLB caliber because they haven't shown it yet. Whereas it looks like we have a group of hitters coming along in Bobby Wood Jr. and all those others who might open a window for us. We need those starters to be there as well. And so that's going to be the big question. Which one of them are MLB caliber? How many of those are rotation guys? How many of them have to play in the bullpen? If it turns out that only one or maybe none of them are, the Royals are in big trouble because they don't have a rotation. If it turns out maybe three or four are rotation worthy, that'll be good enough probably. If five or six of them are really MLB caliber, then you have a, a real competitor, I think, for the AL Central in the Royals. So that's a big question for me. Uh, the starters are the thing we need to learn about most, I think, in 2022. I think of that crop, you're going to end up with several that are MLB caliber rotation guys. I always just question, do you have, I'm, I'm a big fan of the idea that teams that are really going to go deep into the playoffs need a guy that is like a stopper. That's you, people would call him a true ace, I guess. Um, but I, I don't know if that guy exists in the system as of now, certainly not in that crop. Uh, you know, you might say Ace Lacy has the stuff to be that guy. Mm-hmm. Um I just don't know about any of those, it, you know, I, it's not Chris Bubich. It's not, I don't think it's Brady Singer at this point. It's not Brad Keller. It's not Carlos Hernandez. Although I think Hernandez probably has maybe better stuff than some of those guys. You got to hope maybe it's Daniel Lynch. Uh, and I, I don't think it's Coar either. So maybe Lynch is your only option. I think Lacey is actually the best option of that whole big group of being that right. If he could find the command necessary to be that it, the stuff is there, uh, obviously with Lacey, the strikeout numbers are insane. The problem is the walk numbers are also insane. And so if he finds that command, I think, I think universally the scouting community thinks the stuff is there for him to be an ace. It's a question about command and health, obviously, but you're right. Other than that, I, you know, Hernandez might be the best shot. I think Coar Coar I don't think was ever going to be that. I hoped he might be. I thought he might be when he, they drafted him, but that fastball just didn't play well enough. But he could still be like back end kind of guy. I think mm-hmm. solid innings eater guy. I just wonder about do they need that number one? The last Royals team to win a World Series didn't have one, and so people wonder well, that's like that's why they got Johnny Cueto. 
<laughs> that is why they got Johnny Quinto. But even he wasn't that for them. He wasn't that good for them. He wasn't a number one for them, really. Probably uh, not. But he was the. I mean, he was more of a number one than any guy they had. That's I mean, true. They just they had a lot of guys that were solid that year, and that took some stuff from guys that you didn't see after that. But but that you know they didn't have enough in the starting rotation. They went out and got a guy they thought at the time was at least a number two in major league baseball. Yeah. And and the truth is like, maybe they don't have that guy in this group. And if we're being honest, the teams that win the world series, they go deep into the playoffs, usually have those guys, those number one guys, Um, or at least some of them have two of them. Some (laughs) of them have multiple. Right. And so, yeah, the Royals be much better off having one of those guys than not. I'm wondering what, what in this group, who's going to try and be one of those guys? Who's going to be a mid rotation guy? Who's going to be a back end guy? Again, if they end up with all these guys being major league caliber, but they're all back end guys, that might not be good enough either. And so they may need to have some guys who are at least going to push up and be contenders for throwing sort of mid three ERAs consistently. You know, we don't need guys in the high twos all the time, right? But we need some guys who are going to keep them in ball games and let them win because their lineup looks like it's going to be good enough to score runs starting in about 2023. My next question, or the next question I guess we're going to go with is one that I have. And this is one we've talked a little bit about. Where in the system will the outfield talent come from? We see the catching talent, the shortstop talent, the infield talent really overall. We've seen the pitching talent, which is almost really all there or close to there. What do we, we don't have a whole lot in the outfield. Where's it coming from? Yeah, I, I, I don't have an answer to that question. I read an, an article, or it wasn't an article. Alec Lewis posted like some, he's down in Arizona doing minor league camp stuff right now. He posted some notes and the sort of interesting thing of notes he posted, he noted that Nick Lofton is now uh, working a lot in center field. And it still sounds like they're going to move him around a lot, that he's not going to be like a true center fielder. I question the degree to which he could actually play the level of, like, I ask myself right now, is Nick Lofton a better center fielder than Kyle Isbell right now? I seriously doubt it. And so my question is, will he ever become a better center fielder than Isbell? I, I think if he's a better runner, it's only negligibly better runner than Isbell. I guarantee he's not a better route. I, don't, I guarantee he doesn't take better routes than Isbell. I like his routes a lot. And so I just wonder, it doesn't look like there's anybody there right now who you're like, this is like a ton of outfield talent. I questioned the other day, and I know people are going to throw this back at me a lot. I asked whether or not Mike Massey, Michael Massey might move to some left field, right field. If he's got the arm for it and right. Um, he's a second baseman for the Royals. He played at uh, high a quad cities last year, crushed the ball at quad cities last year. I think a 135 weighted runs created plus from him, which is amazing. But he is a gold glove second baseman, at, 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 you know, minor league gold glove. Now, that said, I don't know what a minor league gold glove actually means defensively. Like we saw Andrew Benintendi win a gold glove in the major leagues. The major that, league. <laughs> that meant nothing. And so we might as well say like, okay, maybe he's a good defender at second. That's great. But his bat's going to probably move fast. So why not try him in left field, right field, see if he could give you a competent left field and hit the crap out of the ball. That'd be great. Right. Because right now you don't have a whole lot coming up in left and right field. I mean, honestly, either. after Kyle Isbell, <laughs> I don't know what you guy, have. I mean, right? like, there's a couple guys names. I know Travis Jones, you know, Brewer. No, he's Hickman. gone. No, Travis oh, Jones. He gone too? He's gone. Dang, he's okay. gone. Are you thinking um, of, are you thinking of uh what's his Trevor or no, what's his name? Tucker Bradley. Yeah. Tucker Bradley. That's what I'm thinking of Tucker Bradley. Um, and then Brewer Hicklin and some guys, but they're not guys you expect to be. Every real contributors major players, to the major right? yeah, yeah, no. Mm. And so, uh, yeah, oof. 
I just really don't know on that front. So I, I guess they could get lucky and maybe one of those guys becomes that maybe Brewer Hicklin becomes an everyday kind of a guy. Maybe, yeah. um, maybe uh, Tucker Bradley or man, there's another Sule, guy who's maybe Sully Matias like really makes a change uh, in his life. That, I don't that'd know. be a That would be, that'd be like, <laughs> I don't know. That's like Nicky Lopez hitting a home run. It just doesn't is happen. That like, is that like MJ Melendez turning it around? Not it isn't no, because it isn't. So Matias has been doing it for many has a years long now. track record of, of swing and miss in his game. Now I hope he does. That'd be fantastic. But we're talking the probability that that's real, real low. And so, whoever, yeah, whoever the, does that deserves a promotion. By the way, yeah, I'll be paying a lot of attention to AAA Omaha because there's no major league season. I'm going to be watching a ton of minor league baseball. And so I'll be paying attention to Omaha, uh, to Northwest Arkansas and to Quad Cities a lot looking to see, hey, what's the outfield look like for these teams? Uh, is Nick Lofton playing a lot of center this year? Is Michael Massey getting looks in center? What's Tucker Bradley looking like? All these sorts of things to see where's that outfield talent going to come from? Because if you're the Royals, Michael A. Taylor's a stopgap. He's not the he's not your center fielder of the future. And you don't have a, a stopgap. Is a stopgap. Yeah, you don't. <laughs> so, honestly, so are, so is Whit Merrifield. Honestly, in right field, if that's where he ends up playing, because he's 33, 34. He's not going to be here for a long time. Where's that outfield talent coming from? Because right now you don't have it. And so in the system, you have some potential for outfield talent, but it's not really clear where it's coming from. I think another thing that they sort of need to start thinking about at the major league level. And this is a long-term planning kind of a thing is who in this group of players is ready for a long-term contract. There's a lot of talk about Bobby Witt Jr. A lot of people on Royals Twitter are big into the idea of like letting him play for a month and offering him a huge long-term contract. I'm a big fan of that, of that idea, but there are going to be a lot of other guys we have to ask, like, should Carlos Hernandez get a long-term contract offer if he comes out and pitches well for a month? Should um, let's think, think of some of these other guys, MJ Melendez, Nick Prado, uh, other, other young guys, Kyle Isbell, would it be worth locking him up at a, at a lower rate or if he shows he's hitting and things like that? There are a lot of questions about who, how to lock some of these guys in for a long-term future. Brady Singer, if he pitched well for a month, you could probably get him a lot cheaper because he's had a sort of poor track record the last couple of years. These are all questions about who do we need to lock up for the long-term future to keep this window open as long as possible and to help give us some cost certainty moving forward. Yeah. And, that, and for the, and this is the, the trick that the Rays kind of pioneered years ago. I think they made, I don't, they probably did it before Evan Longoria, but I think he was kind of the guy that they, you know, you're going to buy out those R beers, but, but now it's way earlier than that even, right? Small market teams have to do things to control guys for as long as they can. And they have to be willing to give money. What a player is giving up is they're saying, I'm going to make more money now. And it might mean that I'm with this team a little bit, long, little bit longer than the six years that I would have to be anyway. Yeah, I think obviously you have to look at it with a Bobby Witt Jr., but he's the kind of prospect that I think usually ends up betting on themselves in these situations, right? Now, he's also the kind of guy that you, you, if you're going to spend money for one franchise guy, that's the guy you do it with. You know, you're George Brett, you know, guys like that. Honestly, ugh, pitching is so is so much of a premium. I might look at any of those pitchers that I think I can have success. For example, and, and there would be qualifications. I only do an extension with Singer if he comes out and he's throwing in a changeup that I respect more. If I see that immediately, doesn't really matter what. Uh, Somebody's leaving their cell phone on during the recording here. No big Sorry, deal. There. I have a child. Oh, that's um, right. That's going to be your excuse for everything now. I have to leave. I have a child. Um, but no, it, like it, I would have to see a change, a change up from Singer that I respect. 
and then some results with it before I offered that. Hernandez, I would have to see continued control uh, or command of his pitches when he comes out again to do that. You know, really, honestly, I'd be looking at a guy like Keller because the price for him is going to be much lower, but you're going to know, okay, there's a steady, there's a guy that's going to be a back-end guy at least. He'll be happy to have a long-term contract, period. Yeah, and the interesting thing about Bobby Witt Jr. in this conversation is he's only, what, 21 right now? Mm -hmm. And so you can give him six or seven years out his arb years and the first couple of years of free agency and give him a chance to get his big ass payday at 28 hitting the the free agent market instead of 25 26 26 27 what he's going to hit right now so it must be clear that, that for a lot of those guys that's the only re- that's the only way they'll do it yeah. right for yeah. guys like bobby witt jr a lot of times that's the only way they'll do it they're not signing a 15-year deal because then they're past they're they're not going to get there and and i hate to bring this up again but evan longoria was kind of the guy that showed that it was like yeah. if you if you take a deal so long that by the time it's over you're past your prime you don't get that big free agent contract and so those guys aren't doing that anymore they will take a deal that still sets it up so they can get a big free agent deal yeah although all this sort of labor you know conflict and things like that a couple of years of not great free agency numbers and free agency signings might actually scare a few of these people into thinking like are the free agent dollars going to be there when i'm 30 when i'm 31 when i'm 28 you know things like that you may wonder like baseball is now not the most popular sport in america it's the second most popular sport in america what do the free agency dollars look like with these stingy ass owners if competition for a player is way less then it's going to be tougher to say like, hey, I'm definitely going to get a $400 million 10-year deal if I leave, you know, when I'm 25, 26 instead of when I'm, you know, 28. If you're a premium player, I don't think that's a deal, like a big problem. If you're that next tier down, that's where it becomes a big problem. And we saw that with Mike Moustakis, who had a hard time getting contract numbers as a guy who could hit 30, could and did hit 30 home runs. Um, And he couldn't get long-term deal. Well, I should say that. He couldn't get the length of deals he wanted with the money he wanted. So he took one and two year deals to try and, you know, prove it kind of things. And which is sad because he's obviously a great dude. We love him here. But uh, yeah, those second tier guys really get, get hurt with that stuff. Uh, last question here. And it's one we've asked several times on this show. We've asked and answered it several times. Need to go. Does Cal Eldred need to go? Yes. He needs to go. Yes. Isn't this obvious at this point? Like, don't get me wrong. The, the way that they came out, there were a lot of things that were kind of handicapping pitching staffs last year coming off of the shortened COVID year. But to repeatedly watch pitchers go out on the mound and get hammered in the first inning, part of that is preparation. You're a yeah, pitching coach. You're not ready part to of pitch. your job is to make sure. Yeah. And how do you go a whole nother season after knowing prior to this that Brady Singer needs to develop and throw a changeup or some other third pitch? And he isn't doing that. It's like if you're his coach, how do you not pound that into his head and say, we can't keep putting you out there if you're not going to throw that change up? Right. Two pitch pitchers are relievers, Brady. See you in the bullpen, bud. Right. Yeah. Until like, until you're ready to start, show me a third pitch. You're, you're back in the rotation. Exactly. Like, yeah. I, but yeah, I, I don't I don't get that at all. But anyway, this is supposed to be a question that they're answering in uh, in 2022. And so the question I think revolves a lot around how does Brady Singer do? Does he start throwing? Does he have that third pitch? Like is there anything Cal Eldred or the pitching staff, I should say, as an indicator of Cal Eldred, is there anything they could do for us to say, okay, Cal Eldred can stay? Well, here's, here's another thing that I'll really be looking for. Jackson Kowar. Can he work with Kowar to the point where um, 
he's not, you know how sometimes he can give up a hit that he's a little bit mentally on top of it after getting in trouble. And singers actually the same way sometimes yeah. too. Can you get them past that mental thing where it's like, Hey, I'm in trouble. I'm freaking out. I'd like to see that happen. You know, um, there's obviously I, things that can be done with Hernandez's continued improvement with command. Bubich's continued improvement with command, but some of those, are, some of the things are like Keller can't get rocked in the first inning that often without changing something or without doing something as a pitching coach. And he wasn't the only one, but that's the one we had consistent reminders of. So right. I'd, I'd love to see a pitching coach who responds more immediately to the patterns that seem to be emerging, right? He seems really slow to adjust or really slow to help the pitchers adjust. It took Brad Keller forever to find out how to throw the ball back in the bottom third forever. Yeah. Right. And he's like, Oh, and I'm going to throw like, 97. Yeah. yeah at and the guy's like, letters, it's going to be 120 right. going out. And what was interesting, it was like, well, we saw a camera, different camera angle at this place. And that showed us that, Oh, it was go- that's all it took. Like, if that's the only thing it took, why is Cal Eldred still here? Right. If Cal Eldred couldn't see it inside sessions, if he couldn't see it, you know, if I'm Cal Eldred, I'll set up a goddamn camera everywhere around the stadium until I find out what's wrong with Brad Keller. Right. That's your job, man. Like, come on, you know, you have one job. And so it's interesting to me. I just want guys to look like one that they're mentally ready to pitch in the first two that they have a plan. They just don't always look like they have a plan up there as a starter. And I know there are scouting reports. I know they all read them. I know that there actually probably is a plan. Maybe it's just a shitty plan. I don't know. But <laughs> it looks like Cal Eldred is not preparing them to come out and be successful right away and not quick to adapt or quick to adjust when things aren't going well. With no baseball, it'll be a struggle to fill the daily entertainment gap that we all have come to sort of expect baseball to fill. So Mike and I decided we would throw out some suggestions for things you can do to entertain yourself while the Major League Baseball player or while the Major League Baseball owners work to destroy the long-term health of the game. Mike, give us the top three things you're going to do to replace MLB action. First, uh, as listeners know, I am a teacher. And so Major League Baseball plays a big part in my summer entertainment. You know, I, I play golf. I do this, you know, I coach football. I do other things in the summer, but like at night, what the hell else am I going to do? I watch baseball. Okay. Um, so it really does sting quite a bit. Um, but luckily I just had a child. So number one thing I'm going to do is help raise my child. <laughs> so that's, that's a big thing. <laughs> more time um, with your kids, more time okay. with the kid. Uh, you know, he's adorable. So I'll, I'll enjoy hanging out with him. Um, I'm also going to cook dinner because my wife and I are notorious for eating out. I love eating out. I love fast food. I'm, I'm a trash garbage eater. Um, junkie. You're a junkie. Yeah, I'm, I'm addicted. There we go. That's true. I'm addicted to fast food. So for the last probably three or four weeks, uh, I've been cooking a lot more. And so I'm going to try and continually cook dinner every single night, which is not something I do when baseball is on. A lot of times I just go whatever I can get before first pitch I go get, and I just come back and sit down and eat it. So cooking dinner is going to be something I try and commit myself to. And then the other thing, I'm going to sit out on my deck. Uh, my house has a, has a nice deck on it and it's going to be summer. So I'll be nice and warm and uh, might have a, a drink or two while I'm doing that and just chill. You know, my house shades the deck in the evening. Uh, so it's really nice. I did that the other night when it was really warm outside and enjoyed it thoroughly. So I'm going to do that more. Need any company? Let me know. I'll come over and hang out on yeah, your yeah. deck. Anytime. I have some other things I'm going to do. I don't have a kid, so mine can't revolve around that. I'm going to play video games 
I can always play video game baseball. If I can't watch baseball, I'll, I'll start another franchise with the Royals on MLB The Show, or I'll play some FIFA or whatever. Love playing video games. Great way to spend time. I like to play them and like put on a podcast or an audiobook. I turn the sound off on most of the video games that I play, and I just put an audiobook or a podcast on. It's a great way to like uh, take in multiple stimulus at one time. I like it a lot. Um, but the biggest thing I'll do is I'll watch minor league baseball every night. Right. I love the Royals minor league system. I want to watch a lot of them. And I have an MLB.tv subscription. And so I'll be watching the Omaha Storm Chasers, the Northwest Arkansas Naturals, the uh, what is it, Quad City River Bandits, and the Columbia Fireflies a lot this summer, especially early in the summer. And the cool thing is a lot of talent in the Royal system. So, uh, and the great thing about watching a minor league broadcast. You don't get all the clowny showmanship stuff. I don't basically, I don't have to listen to HUD. That's what I really like. <laughs> and so I actually listen to the minor league broadcast because it's usually people who are doing like, they're doing radio, but it's put over the, um, the minor league broadcast, the TV, the, the images. And so it's really just a straightforward broadcast. I love straightforward broadcasts, love listening and watching minor league games. So I'll watch a bunch of minor league games and then I'll, uh, I'll go for really long walks too. I was just talking to my, my partner earlier and we were talking about how awesome it is in Kansas city when the sun goes down in the summer and it's still kind of warm outside. And you're so you can go walk in the summer when it's like nighttime and just really enjoy the outdoors, even when it's 110 and hundred percent humidity during the day at night, things get a lot better. And so maybe I'll do some of that. I'll go chill on Mike's deck occasionally. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we'll just have a lot of fun that doesn't revolve around major league baseball for a while. We'll end this episode of Royals weekly. Like we end every episode of Royals weekly with our just a bit outside segment. Yay. This is where we talk about something that is interesting to us outside the world of baseball. There's a lot going on outside the world of baseball right now. So Mike, what's interesting to you outside the world of baseball? Uh, what I get, I just put down a worldly knowledge. Um, so this kind of goes back to a while ago and it's only become more relevant recently, but in the fall, uh, I visited a small college town to visit one of our good friends. And, um, I met some people and I had a specific conversation with this one person. And this one person was sharing their dislike of a certain politician. And I'm not saying I'm a fan of that politician, but I was like, Hey, tell me why you dislike this politician. And he went on to explain a whole bunch of things. And as he's explaining this stuff, I start to realize like that this person who had recently graduated from college um, had next to no knowledge on anything outside of the United States. And some, in some case, not, not a whole lot that happened inside the United States, but <laughs> I started thinking like, well, this person doesn't like know much, like, like outside the United States, they don't know any of this. Um, and so what I started doing was I, I would give, I realized I didn't want my students to, to not know anything about the world outside the United States. So I started giving them these little mini lessons. Uh, every day we take a test, they have an assignment afterward about a different part of the world. And so as we, I, not knowing that any of this stuff was going to play into anything, well, then Russia invades Ukraine, right? And so now people are like, oh, you know, Ukraine, what's that? My students are asking me all this stuff. And I'm like, well, so try to explain, hey, this is where Ukraine is. This is the history behind all this stuff. But I'm just, it's just, I'm sitting back and I'm thinking about this guy going, I wonder what he's saying about this right now. <laughs> like, is he talking? Like, what is he? Yeah, you know, like I worry that he oh, just man. doesn't quite understand. And so I, I, I guess I'm hoping for more worldly knowledge. Um, you know, I know some other people who have a big fear of things outside the United States. They refuse to travel outside the United States. 
Um, but I, I would really say, hey, give it a shot. Now that hopefully, crossing fingers, we're starting to get out of the COVID nightmare. Get yourself out of this country and go go see something else. Yeah, that's that's kind of it. If nothing else, pick up a goddamn book. There's plenty of stuff in there that tell you about the world. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah. yeah, it is interesting to uh, to see that. I mean, this is why in moments like this, I just I, the first thing I seem to think about is how important social science education is and how important history education is that you have a good history teacher, that you have a good social science experience and that you can sort of understand, or I guess humanities and social science experience, understand that like, you know, there are so many issues outside the United States that create complexity for us and that sort of require our attention and then make us better people for understanding. And so, yeah, this is a great moment for that, I think. And so, yeah. And I'm not claiming that I'm the most worldly person in the world. I'm certainly not that. Um, but I have tried on many occasions and, and gone places outside the United States. I try and learn as much as I can about things outside of our country. And yeah, that, I just think anybody can benefit from that. Yeah. You certainly anybody. don't have to be the most worldly to do it, guys. I eat, um, you know, nothing but chicken fingers and macaroni and cheese. will and not yet- eat any food that does not come from. <laughs> a kids a, a fryer at the <laughs> iowa state fair and so exactly. like if, it if it's not made there then i'm embarrassing but uh but you know i still that i i do mine through books i pick up i travel outside the u.s as well but I, I i do mine through books i like to read about the history of things and so find a way to learn about what other people in the world are going through all the time or have gone through and it really changes your perspective on a lot of things including what we are going through here in the united states Mine's sort of somewhat linked to that, or at least it's linked to recent issues in uh, Russia and Ukraine. And that is, I saw a, a thing today. I saw a quote today from, again, a politician. And the interesting, it was an interesting quote. I think it was ridiculous, but it talked a, a lot about how like this one leader in the world was really strong and all these sorts of things. And the more I, when I read the quote, I was like, no, no, you're no, that's, that's the wrong way to think about this. And it made me realize that certain people, uh, they mistake being feared for being respected. To them, it looks like the same thing. It looks like if somebody is feared, they are respected, but that's actually not the case. And I think what's taking place in Russia and Ukraine is actually a great example of this, right? You have one leader who has invaded a country. He is feared by the people around him, by the people, by his own citizenry, by a lot of people, by the soldiers who serve under him. He is feared by a lot of people. Right. So in some ways, he's feared by the greater international community. Even. Oh, for yeah. sure. Definitely yeah. feared by the greater international community as well. Right. Then you have this other leader, uh, Vladimir Zelensky from Ukraine, who has risen to the moment and become this worldwide celebrity and worldly adored human being for the bravery that he's shown, as well as others in Ukraine as well. Other leaders like the Klitschkos who have decided to stay in Kiev and fight for their home territory. These people are respected. And that's why you see soldiers from throughout Europe and the United States leaving just to go fight for a country they've never been to, have no connection to. You're seeing tens of thousands of people go into Ukraine to fight for a leader, for a person who is respected, not feared. And that's that's the big difference, right? That is the difference. You're also seeing a ton of Russian soldiers throw down their weapons and just defect and just like leave the Russian army because fear is not the same thing as respect. And so- in my mind, I ask the question, well, who confuses the two? And in my mind, it's usually insecure and weak feeling people. I'm going to say men. Typically, it's men, right? <laughs> I know. I know. I'm sorry, men out there. I'm, I'm guessing mostly men listen to this. But you know that dude. You know that dude who like 
spends all of his time working out and just like, you know, constantly wants people to fear him because he believes that's respect. And it's not. I'm here to tell you, if you're a young man listening to this broadcast, fear is not the same thing as respect. So garner respect by treating others with respect, by being kind, by being inspirational, if you can be. But if if nothing else, just treat others with respect and that's how you're going to earn it. That means being honest and things like that. That to me, I don't care if people fear me because that's very temporary. That's very uh, uh, elusive. And yeah, Yeah. it's very, it's very, I don't know. It's just, it's a reflection to me of inner insecurity. And so I'd much rather be respected than feared. Good point. Good point. Yeah. I I feel like too, it's like, if you're looking for things from people, like respect is the easiest way to do it to make sure that that's going to happen. You're only going to get stuff for fear. Fear seems so temporarily advantageous. Yeah. You know? This is, this to me is very um, actually, I used applicable to, to a, sports. Uh, I used to but, teach a lesson on this and we used to talk about how um, it's called legalism. It's a whole thing, but we used to talk about how once fear doesn't always work because the longer you go on, the less and less people fear you. And once they no longer fear you, it's over. It's right? over, right? It is over. The second the people of Russia no longer fear, fear Vladimir Putin, his reign is over, right? Like, and yeah. so he, he has no no chance of staying in power the second they stop fearing him. And so, but this is the same is true for for sports. If you think about coaching in this way, I know so many coaches who grew up in an era where, oh, you had to make your players afraid of you. You had to be this demonstrably awful person. And I'm screaming at a kid on the sideline and cussing him out. Some 14 year old kid who made a mistake in a frigging football game or something. And it's like, you're feared by your players. We get it. You're not respected by your players. You might think you are, but you're not right. Like, and so the second they stop fearing you, they stop listening to you. That's why those coaches often have temporary reigns. I think like they might temporarily win some games or something like that, but you just don't see a whole lot of good outcomes come from that fear, right? If you want to be a great coach, the coaches I always played hardest for, I can think of their names right now in my head, right? They had they didn't try and scare me ever. They just made me respect them. And that's they did it by giving me respect, by being kind, by showing they cared, and that was enough. And I would play my heart out for them. I would I would run for miles, I would play till I dropped for them. I think that's a, a good example of of how we should be treating each other. And I think if anybody who's in the coaching profession now at least at, at the levels that I coach, I think they know that that old way it's, it's either gone or on its way out the door. It's so hard to be a coach like that anymore at the, at the level that I work at. And because kids don't, kids and parents don't want to play for that anymore. Yeah. And that's, I completely understand it. <laughs> and they shouldn't, and they shouldn't demand hey, respect. Yourself. Can we get some baseball back? So we don't have to talk about complex world issues. And uh, hey, you psychology. know what? This may someday become a complex world issue podcast instead. Actually, first, it's going to be Ted Danson. First, Ted Danson, pivoting to Danson. And then after that, we'll talk about complex world issues. Okay. I, re- I rewatched Mr. Mayor this week. It was awesome. <laughs> who, who, who wouldn't you want to hear about complex world issues from? You got a high school history teacher, I guess, middle school. You got a middle school history teacher and a guy who, I don't know, uh, what do a I writing, do for a living? A writing guy. <laughs> a guy who knows a little bit about writing. Uh, and so, yeah, why not us? You know, why not us? I don't know when the next episode of Royals Weekly will be. We'll keep doing a monthly until they decide to start the season. Uh, and so, uh, maybe we'll pivot to minor leagues if, if uh, that's it. If we keep going starts. in this space, we're not gonna be able to call ourselves Royals Weekly anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we're Royals Monthly for now, we're making liars out of us. I know, Jeez. I know. But until next time, I hope you all treat each other well. And Mike, go Royals. Go Royals.